Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast, a discussion on race, justice, and Jesus. We are your hosts. My name is Neil Sandlin, and uh, I am here, as always, with my man Tyler Redeemed France, as those who listen to his hip-hop know him as. Shameless plug. Shameless plug for Tyler's (laughs) hip-hop. We are called the Outsiders for a multitude of reasons, and maybe these first few podcasts we probably just need to continue to to drive that home while we are called the outsiders. First and foremost, we consider ourselves outsiders from society because we are in the kingdom of God. Yep. Uh, we are a exiled people from the system of this world and the way they do things, and so we're outsiders there. We're also outsiders from politics because, Tyler, uh, we do not fit into the two-party race system. We, we are not, not. A, we're not Republicans, we're not Democrats, and so we don't fit into their scheme, their philosophies, the way that they do things. Right. We are also outsiders from American evangelic- evangelicalism yes. as it is currently constructed. Right. Uh, so often with the us versus them mentality and attitude, we are not for that. We're not down with that. And so we kind of pull away from that. And most importantly, for this podcast and for the theme of what we're doing, we are outsiders from the African-American community mm-hmm. because we are not black. Uh, that doesn't mean that they have ostracized us or pushed us far from it, far away from them or right. anything like that. No, in fact, they have pulled us in and accepted us, Absolutely. but we are not black, which means we can walk hand in hand with them, but we do not have their experience. Uh, we have not gone through the things they've gone through because, once again... We are not black. We are not. Two that white boys true. Discuss, uh, discussing all these things. So so the purpose of this podcast is we want to educate white people to be an advocate and defender of black lives. Um, Ourselves included. Yes, absolutely. Ourselves and that's where it included. starts is with us. So uh, you may not agree with everything you hear, but if you listen and you think, we definitely believe you will grow. Yeah, amen. And we also welcome discussion. Yeah. So please, if you please disagree with discuss us, discuss with us. With us, you can hit us up <laughs> uh, through our Facebook page, through our personal Facebook page, through our Twitter accounts. Um, you can. Some of you have our cell phone numbers. Yeah. Uh, please don't just. We're not so bold uh, to put it out just yet. No, not, yet, not just yet. But but please don't just <clears throat> hear things and either not understand or assume certain things and and run with it, please reach out to us. We want this to be a discussion, not just between Tyler and I here on the podcast, but we want it to be a discussion um, that just penetrates our lives in general. So please utilize that. One thing that we're going to try to do each and every podcast, we shared our testimonies last time on on why this podcast and why now. So if you need to go back and listen to episode one so you can get all that, we're not going to do that every episode. But I think it's it's probably good for Tyler and I to do a little heart check each podcast just to kind of see where we are yeah. uh, emotionally, spiritually, mentally um, when it comes to this issue. If there's certain yeah. things that are weighing on our hearts, if we're good. Uh, my counselor always tells me to ask my wife, you know, Jessica, how are you doing? Uh, emotionally, sometimes right. I even ask her, hey, what does that mean on a scale of one to 10? So I think that's kind of good. So I, I just want to kind of do that with you, Tyler, to start yeah. off with. How's your heart uh, when it comes to this issue of race uh, over the last couple of weeks since we've discussed yeah, last? Yeah. Uh, so the, the research kind of kicked my tail um, this week uh, for the podcast, man. It, it was very eye-opening 
and and I saw that uh, you know one this is this is not the most comfortable thing ever. It, oh, absolutely. it really exposes certain things in your understanding or what you've always believed. Mm-hmm. Um, so so in studying the history and theology of all this, it, it challenged me to take a look at myself and those around me. Um, and it makes me rethink what I was taught and see areas that have blind spots. Yeah, um, thinking always, if we're thinking rightly, yeah. it always messes with our heart. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And like it, some people think we would disconnect our mind and our heart, but the truth is if we're thinking properly, it's going to mess with our heart. Yeah. And, and it, one thing I found, it's easy to confidently say that I'm not a racist and I love everyone and, and truly mean it. Um, what's not so easy is to understand that the work starts with us individually. Right. Right. Um, something has to be deconstructed in our own hearts in order right. for this work to be done. Yeah. Uh, individually. And then we can go kind of as a unit. Yeah. And, and I think, up, so. and I think something that's hard is, is to be able to go, what can I change? What can I do? And realize that there's some things, especially in the past that, man, we, we can't fix. Like right. it's already been done and we can't fix it. And, and that kind of hurts too. Yeah. You know, that kind of hurts that, yeah. man, I can't believe that happened. And we, now we can't do nothing about it. Right. You know, it just, it hurts our hearts. Absolutely. Um, I would say for me, yeah. What about you? Um, it's been, it's been a difficult couple weeks, not research wise. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that, I read and studied was a kind of a, a going back through stuff that I had read refresher. and studied. And yeah, it was a refresher and highlighting some things and jotting some things down. But um, anytime you talk about race, it's a difficult conversation to have. Yeah. And what ends up happening, I think, a lot of times is people hear buzzwords or keywords. Right. And sometimes the world uses those same buzzwords and keywords. Mm-hmm. And so people take things that the world are saying and they kind of throw it on top of you right. and they say, oh, well, if you're talking about race, then this must mean this is true for you too because the world's talking about race and this is how they're viewing it. So Neil, right. you must be on board. And um, So they'll lump you with a bunch of groups yeah, that you don't even agree yeah. with. Yeah, and yeah, they, they lump me in ideologies and groups that I don't agree with and that I don't stand with. And right. um, yesterday I arrived at work at, here at the church and I get a letter in the mail, I open it up and it's 20 pages almost, 15 mm. to 20 pages, from a guy that I've talked to for 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the last 25 years. Wow. He doesn't know me. He doesn't <laughs> know my heart. He doesn't know the the depths in which I believe about these things and hold to these things. And yet he wrote 15 pages really attacking me, mm. um, mischaracterizing me, mm. saying that I'm not preaching the gospel anymore. Right. Uh, accusing me of all kinds of stuff. And so that, that just weighs on you, you know? It yeah. just, especially when, this is what I told my wife last night. I was like, listen, there's enough stuff about me for you to disagree with <laughs> that I actually do believe. Yeah. You don't have to make stuff up. Like, yeah, you don't I, have to I mis- tell my wife that too. Actually. Yeah, you don't have to <laughs> mischaracterize me to, to disagree with stuff. There will be opinions that I have. There will be views theologically that I have that people can disagree with. And I can deal with that, and that doesn't hurt my heart. What hurts my heart and what weighs on me is when I get accused of things that I don't believe and that I don't hold to. So yep. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of bringing that 
end of the podcast a little bit yeah. um, today uh, with just a just that kind of weighing on me. It does it does hasn't necessarily brought me down, but it's right. just something that weighs on your heart and you yeah. you know because my heart is just wanting to love people right. and preach the gospel and its fruit. Right. And so when you get accused of you know not preaching the gospel anymore and and that kind of stuff, it really just kind of weighs on you. And I, I don't want it to. And again, this is fruit of the gospel. So right, it, right. It the, is not the gospel. You no, it is not the gospel, and we don't claim it is. It is so please don't tell us gospel. we do. It it is a fruit of the gospel. Yeah, it, it's, it's loving implications it's, of what the gospel brings about right. once you believe it. And if you disagree with the way we're doing it, then that's what we can discuss. Like oh, talk sure. to us. Absolutely, we are not above that at Absolutely. all. Absolutely, but yeah. uh, but find but, find out what we believe about things before you think that we believe certain things. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just find out. Yeah. And uh, but we're gonna tell you what we believe about a lot of stuff today. Ooh. And uh, because strap we are in, gonna, guys, we are gonna yeah strap in, get ready because we are gonna be dealing with uh, American. Christianity's racial failure on this episode today. And it's going to be a hot one. So in our last podcast, we discussed the biblical teaching of race and how all humans are image bearers of God. Remember that, Neil? I do remember that. Worthy of life, respect, and dignity. Amen. Amen. Uh, We also saw that with God, there is no superiority. Right, based yep. upon our skin color, sex, or any life situation, we are all equal. That's right. Uh, so if we're all in agreement to that, yep, then we can work. Right. Right. Yeah, we can move forward. Okay. So uh, on this episode, we need to discuss what the Bible says about slavery before moving forward to anything else. Um, there's been a lot of kind of false equivalencies to mm-hmm. um, race-based slavery that was in America to what was in the Bible. Right. And a they lot just of people see use the word the slavery and think that it means the same thing. That it means the same thing. Yeah. And it's it really does not. Uh, so when we think of slavery, it brings up this horrible imagery and it triggers a lot of us. Yep. Um, but in the Bible, it was not the same thing. Matter of fact, it was it had nothing to do with race. Right. Yeah. Race had nothing it, to do with it. It was economic. Yep. Right. Yep. So um, that's that's what it was. And so... You want to expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years, 19 and a half years, and I have had so many people come up to me and ask me questions about this very thing. Well, Mm -hmm. man, the Bible talks about slavery, you know, and you read the Old Testament and you see the word slavery and you see, and immediately because the imagery in people's minds is this race-based kidnapping, selling people into slavery, auctioning people off, beating people, that... That is what they bring into the text of the Bible. And, right. and what you find in the Bible is something very different in the Old Testament. And mm. so what we're going to do here just for the next few moments, and we're just going to kind of hit some, some basic principles in the Old Testament and the New Testament about what the Bible actually says about race. Yeah. And what we've already mentioned is that it's an economic thing, not a race-based thing. And right. in fact, in the Old Testament, the citizens of Israel would actually sell themselves into slavery or servanthood voluntarily right. because of poverty, because they owed somebody money, because they were, in a, they were in a position where they owed a debt to somebody. There was no bankruptcy laws. It's not right. like they could go sign for bankruptcy and get it forgiven and their credit goes bad. <laughs> they had to pay that off somehow. And so 
what would happen in, in the in the Old Testament is that people would sell their themselves, their work, mm-hmm. uh, in order to pay off the debt. Leviticus 25 expresses this, says, If a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you, which means they owe you money, right. that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner. Yeah. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Now, if this mean now if this is the means of a stranger or a sojourner with you becomes sufficient, and a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to him that you sell him to a stranger who is sojourning with you, you to the descendants of the stranger's family. In other words, if this person owes you a debt, they could come work for you. Mm-hmm. And yes, technically the word translates into slavery, but it is a hired indentured servitude. I owe right. you money. I got to pay my debt off. So I'm going to come to you and basically I'm going to be a hired man for you. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a few things about this passage. N- number one, as I've already said, there's no bankruptcy in the ancient culture. That's a modern thing. Um, so if you fell into debt, you have to pay it off somehow. Second, it is voluntary. Um, if he sells himself to you. So there's requirements there. You can't just go and demand someone come work for you. And then Mm -hmm. third, this was not for the profit of the slave trader. This wasn't for the profit of the person who was hiring the man. This was because the person was destitute and they are going to pay you back. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, hey, I just want more money. I just want, want more work. So you have to come work for me. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, you owe me something and you're going to come work for me. Right. Uh, and, and that's pivotal to understanding Old Testament slavery because that's not what slavery was in America. Yeah. But that is what slavery was in the Old Testament. Uh, it mentioned year of Jubilee in that, in that verse. And the year of Jubilee meant every seven years, yeah. debt was forgiven. Right. So if I owed Tyler a debt and I went to work for him, I would work for seven years. But when that seventh year is up, uh, I, my debt was free and I got to go back. I didn't have to work forever and ever and ever to pay off the debt. And of course that's just a picture of grace and, and what God has done for us, uh, which is really, really important to understand the year of Jubilee and the grace that happens with forgiving debts. Um, after the debt was paid the year of Jubilee, either they pay the debt off or the year of Jubilee happens, a servant could voluntarily stay there right. and work and gain you know, profit by working for the, the master that they had. Yeah. Uh, and this often happened because of the way that the laws required the master to treat their, the higher person. They couldn't treat them bad. They couldn't treat them horribly. So they would oftentimes stay and work together, which was a beautiful thing. Um, so say that again. So, so they could not treat them poorly. No, they could not treat them poorly. They absolutely, there were requirements on how they were to treat these indentured servants, this, these slaves. Right. Uh, they couldn't charge them interest. Mm. Um, that was an important thing. So no interest on the loans, you know, on the debt that you owe. Yeah. They had to give them tons of time off. Every religious ceremony, every religious um, celebration, they got time off to go celebrate those things. In fact, some people calculated that in a a period of 50 years, so let's say someone did work for 50 years, they would get 23 years and 64 days off. So half the time, mm-hmm. almost, they would be off. Mm-hmm. Again, it's this idea of driving people to work and enslaving and, and people to work uh, simply was not something that 
occurred in Old Testament right. slavery and without punishment. Right. Or, uh, severe. Severe, severe punishment. punishment. You couldn't you couldn't kidnap a man yeah. and sell him into slavery. Again, that those are images that we often have, right? The the auctioning off of African slaves, the kidnapping of African slaves yeah. and bringing them over to the Americas. That was considered a capital crime mm. in Exodus chapter 21. It says, he who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. You could not kidnap someone as property and make them work for you. Right. You That's a death penalty. Yeah. That, that's what that crime that's got you. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing that I think is really important to understand too. So just as a way of analogy, if I owed you a debt, Tyler, that I could not pay. Yeah. And so I had to come and work for you. So I came to you and I said, Hey, I owe you a debt I don't have the land, the property, the cattle to pay this off the crops to pay this off. I got to come work for you. You would have to take in my whole family, right? There was no separating of families. There was no breaking up of families, which we saw in American and European slavery. Mm -hmm. There was none of that. You actually had to bring my whole family onto your property, provide food for my family, take care of my family while I work to pay off the debt. Again, because my family deserved dignity. You weren't going to take the father out of the home and mistreat my family because I simply owed you a debt. And then I think moving forward... Uh, into the New Testament, you see this as well. Masters and servants had the same capital M master. Mm. In Israel, Yahweh was their master. Yahweh was their God. And so the superiority aspect of what we think about as slavery is gone and wiped out in the Old Testament because both the hired indentured servant slave and the master had the same capital M master, and that was Yahweh. And that's huge you know, moving forward and understanding that the interest of both of these parties was to honor God. Right. And so the way that I work for my master Mm -hmm. to pay off my debt honors God and the way the master treats me as the indentured servant and slave mattered to God. And that's why God in the Mosaic law puts so many rules because he's like these indentured servants are human beings created in my image, are worthy of dignity, honor, respect, and life. Mm. And there are punishments for you not doing that. And so we see that radically different than slavery that we often think about in our, you know, in our own minds. And there were punishments for all kinds of You and I were even talking about, yeah, I mean, if you even punched a a slave, they were free. Is that right? Yeah, if you you injured a, a slave... Uh, if you were abusive to a slave, Exodus 21 says um, that they're free and you'll be punished. Yeah. Uh, if you kill a slave, you will be punished. There's no room in Scripture for abusing slaves because the undercurrent of all of Scripture is we're all made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter uh, who we are, whether you owe me money, whether you don't owe me money, whether I'm rich, whether you're poor, poor, I, I am to treat you with dignity and respect. And if I mistreat you, then God comes in with the law and says, yeah. well, this person's free. Yeah. You're not going to mistreat someone who's working for you. So um, they're protected. Absolutely. They were protected. They were absolutely protected. And that's just what ends up happening. If people in the, it just see the word slave in the Old Testament, and their mind just brings in the context of 
race-based slavery. And that's just, that's not what it was. And then, you know, the New Testament has the language of slave slavery. And I think it's important to understand that, again, Roman slavery Mm -hmm. was not race-based. It was caste-based. It was economic-based. But it it was more brutal. Oh, Roman no slavery. doubt it was Roman more slavery brutal. was definitely more brutal. Right. And and what's interesting, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into this, but what's interesting <laughs> is what did the Romans not have that the Jews did have? They had the basis of image bearers of God. Right. That's why we started with, with what we started with last week, mm. because it's so important for us to say, here's our biblical foundation moving forward. The Romans did not have the Bible as their basis. So image bearers of God were out the window. Right. They didn't care that people were image bearers of God, nor that they believed they were image bearers of God the way that we do. So Roman uh, slavery was way more brutal mm-hmm. um, than there was kidnapping involved. And right. you've seen stuff about making people gladiators and all that kind of stuff. That was yeah. a, a real thing. And that's the context in which the New Testament church is functioning. Uh, and Christians didn't have the power to change that. They had zero influence on laws. It's not like they could go vote and get laws changed. They had zero influence on that. And so any kind of slave rebellion or trying to put restrictions on slavery would just end up in getting getting both the Christian and slaves killed. It, mm-hmm. it wouldn't profit anything. Um, and so commanding Christians to free slaves, you know, let's say I own a slave and then I become a Christian for someone to say, oh, well, you're Christian now, you got to let that slave go free, would really, it was probably a death sentence to that slave. Um, And so that's the the concepts that they were working in. Um, And in fact, up until I believe your 30th birthday, Mm. if you were a slave, you were considered a slave up to your 30th birthday. So if I freed someone who was 20 years old and they left, the society would consider them a slave for 10 more years and they wouldn't be provided for, they wouldn't be taken care of. Um, they would just be basically, you know, homeless wow. moving forward. Um, but, but I want to, I want to put Roman slavery in the context of the language of the new Testament, right? Love one another as Christ loved you. Mm-hmm. You can't mistreat someone right. and believe that people could no longer be treated as slaves. So if I was lost and I treated a slave that I had poorly and I get saved, I now treat that person the way Christ loves me. Right. Um, that matters. Of course, Philippians chapter two, right? The right. humbling of, of Christ humbling himself. And, and the letters of Paul and Peter mention Christianity exchanging a holy kiss. Mm. Holy kiss, that was family language. Yeah. You didn't go to a perfect stranger in the market and, you know, kiss them. That, that didn't happen. <laughs> you did that to family. And yet Paul and Peter say, Hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you greet one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. And that didn't matter if you were a slave or free. Yeah. That pa- was Paul even used the language of brother. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and yeah, when when in Philemon, the book of Philemon, which oh, okay. is a which is a, a text all about you know, no, yeah. this slave just, that just, ran away, yeah. probably because he was mistreated. Mm-hmm. Something caused the Onesimus to run away from Philemon. Right. Right, so Philemon's a believer. Onesimus runs away, and he runs to Paul. Right, and he no doubt laid out his grievances to Paul about what was going down mm-hmm. as him being a slave to Philemon. And what's so interesting in Philemon chapter one is that Paul, writing his letter back to Philemon, that he was going to give to Onesimus, like, "Here, I'm going to write this letter to Philemon. You take it, go back, tell Philemon, you know what we talked about and what I wrote." He says to Philemon, "You are to view him as above a slave." Yeah. 
and now as a brother. Mm. And what's so interesting about that language of brother and the language of adoption in the Bible, and there's been uh, treatises written about this and, and doctoral dissertations written about this, is it is probably likely that Paul was telling Philemon, you adopt him now. Don't treat him as a slave. You adopt him into your family as a brother. Jesus is called Lord because he's the only master, Hmm. right? He's the only one that we have to subjugate ourselves to. Hmm. And so although Christians could not abolish Roman slavery, they started this new form of society, this new creation, mm. this new race of people, quote unquote, right. in Christ within the Roman Empire that they lived. They couldn't get outside of the Roman Empire, but they were going to start this new society inside of the Roman Empire. And it was going to effectively challenge the status quo that the Romans viewed. And they were going to say, hey, human beings either as masters or slaves have a relationship to one another now that transcends anything the Romans say. Mm. And the slave is my brother. Right. I think there's a Christmas song that says that <laughs> the slave is my brother. Yeah. Um, and that, that language and that understanding of the new Testament changes radically what we are as the new creation. So we just wanted to run through that quickly right. because we, when we start talking about slavery in America, there is no room for reaching back into the Bible and say, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that and the Bible says they this. Condone slavery. In some kind yeah. of, yeah, some kind of defense mm-hmm. of European and Amer- American slavery because the two could not be further apart. Right. And we need to understand that moving forward so that we can use the Bible as it is intended to use the Bible, as the abolitionists use the Bible, um, and moving forward. And I think that's just huge for us as Christians to understand, here's what the Bible actually says about slavery, and here's why it has been used to destroy slavery in Europe and in America. So it was important for us to spend a little time on the differences between slavery in the Bible and what we know as slavery in America. But now that we've done that, we're going to spend most of our time doing some deconstruction work. Yeah, a lot, lot to be done. A lot to be done on that. Uh, so, Neil, man, this is what I was taught in school. Some really horrific things happened in sure. our nation's history. Yeah. Uh, slavery was one of them, where Africans were traded and stolen away from their homes, and they were forced to work under the absolute worst conditions um, and, and they were treated like property. Yeah. Honestly, not treated like human beings. Right. So, so far all this is factual, but slavery, um, slavery was horrible, but then there was this, this glimmer of hope and it was kind of this timeline of progress and triumph. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it kind of goes like this. We fought for their freedom. We won the war. And as a result, slaves were now free. Mm A couple things about that. Uh, one, there's a, there's a bit of a hero complex there, uh, that I think we have to wrestle with. Uh, you know, we fought for them and I think it's important to wrestle with it and not ignore it because that's the kind of whitewashing that still exists today. Pun intended. Yeah, a little bit and has, uh, repercussions for today. So, uh, while it is true that we as a nation took up arms and defeated the Confederates, uh, Confederates technically ending slavery, what we will see throughout history 
and, and you and I were discussing this earlier, sure. is that black people most of the time had to fight for themselves. Yeah. And that triumph narrative that we hold so dear to us is, is really theirs. Yeah, most of the great changes that have taken place in race relations in this country have been because black people have fought for those changes and they were the one pushing that primarily. And white people and unfortunately even white Christians were pushed along by the, by the black community. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so before we dig into that more and we'll get further along. Oh yeah, that, yeah, but, we, got, uh, we, got, we got some time, right? Uh, but before I continue, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm, we're not trying to cause division. I just want to give a little interlude here. No, the very opposite. Um, we, we, again, what we believe is that everyone is equal. We believe that we know that there's a 0.2 difference biologically. We talked about that last episode. If you haven't listened, go check it out. Um, and so I'm not advocating for white guilt or supremacy either way, black or white. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are all one human race. Um, but what we want to do, and, and before we start this deconstruction work, is look at the areas that we might have blind spots. So I always want you guys to be thinking about that. Right. And we will be too. Absolutely. As we go yeah, through absolutely. this. Absolutely. Um, so back to the timeline of progress. 1867, Lincoln freed the slaves. Right. We knew this. We, we've heard this. He's a great this emancipator. Absolutely. 1870, black men had the right to vote. In 1918, allies win World War I. Mm-hmm. 1945, black people fought for their country and yeah. won in World War II. Uh, 1964, Civil Rights Act passed in 2008. What happened there? We got a black president for the very first time. Our Barack president Obama. was black. Yep. Yep. Um, and, you know, we've we also discussed this. We, how could we possibly have um, a country that is systemically racist or that has those kind of undertones or has that in their history and still kind of bleeds in today uh, with the most powerful man in the world being black right. and our leader being black. How can right. we possibly? Yeah. And I've actually heard people say that. I've heard people yeah. talk about the fact that there's no way that racism could be a prevalent issue. It's a, maybe a personal issue with people here and there, but it exactly. can't be a prevalent issue because after all, Barack Obama was elected president. And so that never would have happened if there were this pervasive yep. thing going on. And I think that's just why doing a historical segment and like, like we're about to do and right. seeing the, the remnants left over from that and how it still impacts the day is very, very crucial for sure. And, and with this timeline of progression, like you said, you know, going into the history, it's easy to see that. It's easy to see how we can land there and say, yeah. well, you know. To see only the high points. See those high points and, and celebrate they're those. There. They're there, for they're sure. There. Yeah, for sure. We're not trying to erase those. No. Um, we're and, glad they're there. But a lot of times they do raise up things and heroes that we're comfortable with. You know, right. like going back to that that idea of comfortability and, and just yeah. feeling comfortable. Um, Abraham Lincoln, MLK. Right. Like we're comfortable with those heroes. Yeah. Those, there's there's other ones that are we're not so comfortable with. Right. If we're honest. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I think that needs to be dealt with as well. So, but it, so we're gonna go back and fill in the spaces. Yeah. Of that timeline. Unfortunately, we have all these gaps of low spots. Yeah. That. We have to discuss in order to see how we've gotten to where we've gotten. And, and if we don't discuss those gaps and the low spots, on all we know are these high spots, which you call the, you know, the progression, you know, that 
upward beautiful progression right. and you don't talk about the low spots you're not getting a complete view of what's really been going down yeah. for sure and we're going to go back uh to the 1400s so this is all the way back all the way back uh where europeans started slave trading in africa that was 1441 Neil. Mm. 1441 yeah, we don't think it went that far back really do we right yeah you know yeah. especially as americans we think it's just the the you know, the time when they were brought to the Americas. Yep. That's kind of where our history kind of begins with this whole issue. But you're saying it goes back to 1441. 1441. And, yeah, that's and, crazy. And so far, the church is still not involved in this area. Right. 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 Uh, 11 years later, religious leaders started releasing edicts that promoted Christian supremacy. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the most, one of the earliest and most well-known was the Dune Diversos in 1452. Right. Uh, it was written by Pope Nicholas V. And it was a bill that literally authorized the Portuguese to reduce any non-Christians to the status of slaves. Yeah. So that's where this uh, this idea of you're less than right is really starting to to happen in the church. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of attitude that comes with, for instance, if you were to ask me, Neil, is Christianity supreme? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Christianity is supreme. Right. It is the only true worship true. of God. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make the human beings that are Christians supreme over other human beings. Right. And that's the attitude that was adopted here. It was this attitude that basically said, because we are a part of the supreme institution, which is the church, right. then therefore we are supreme and we can rule that over the pagans and, and dude, the non-believers. They, they took from the book of Joshua. Um, where he goes into Canaan and conquers... Yeah, all the different civilizations in Canaan and the pagan nations. And has permission from God? Yeah. Well, they took that as as theological permission. To do what we want to do right. with pagans. Because we are the chosen people now. We, yeah. are, we are God's people. Right. And uh, these pagans are not. Yeah. They don't believe what we believe, and they don't believe the truth. Right. And so we are supreme over them. Yeah. And we have the right to take their things. We have the right to treat them like slaves. And we can do, uh, we can do property in Portugal and, and around the world what Israel did, led by Joshua in Canaan. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as you can see, I mean, just a few years later, this sets the theological ideology and framework for Columbus. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so by the time Columbus arrived in, in the West in 1492, uh, the fact that these people are made in the image of God doesn't even register because he's kind of being indoctrinated through these sure. teachings. Sure. Um, and yeah, so you have 50 years of that teaching being promoted and pushed. And so when he comes to the Americas, he has that as his foundation background, right? That, that my job is to, as a professed Christian is I can go to this new country and anyone living there who will not be Christians, they therefore are less than, right? And we can do whatever we want to do because they are less than. Yeah. And I, I could be wrong. I, I don't even think he really thought it through in the sense of like, I'm just going to come up here and, and kill these people and take sure. over and do this. I no, think he's yeah. just like, this is my destiny. This is what right. I'm supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And that what happens is, is that it becomes an unconscious, it becomes a foundational point for actions. And a lot of times right. our, our actions don't go back to look at the underlying foundational issues we just look at the actions, right? So I want to go settle this new land. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, great, yeah. noble thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that people were there right. and he never checked the foundational stuff that had been laid for 50 years in his framework and mindset to say, right. now, 
what actions can I do that are legit? Theology matters. Theology does matter. And, and so I agree with you. I don't think he is consciously saying, and I can go do whatever I want to these people and it doesn't matter. Right. I think he's got an ideology that has been laid down because of bad exegesis from Scripture and interpretation from Scripture yep. that allows him to act in a way that treats other people as subhuman, which we said in the last podcast, he looked at them and his one of his first remarks of the indigenous people is they will make good servants. Servants, yeah. yeah. So he's not even seeing them as people. and He's right. seeing them as less than, and as that's that than, whole yeah. framework. Uh, right. And so, yeah, and, and so in 1493, the Doctrine of Discovery, uh, which has established a spiritual, political, and legal justification for colonization and seizure of land not inhabited by Christians. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, that's, so if you own property and you own land and you're not a Christian, Christians can come and seize that. Right. So the ideology definitely supported the dehumanization, as yeah. we were talking about, Um and if you're not a Christian, then you're less than. So that's that's yeah. where we're at. And then in 1502, so again, that was Christians, right? In 1502, now first African slaves brought to Americas. Mm-hmm. So now yeah. this is starting to bleed over, and it's only a matter of time before it did. Absolutely. With race. Absolutely. Right? Uh, as, as the social construct that it is and the way that it was made um, to divide, then... You know, it's just a matter of time before that right. happened. So, yeah. uh, so we have 1502, and then in 1775, I mean, just that big jump, slaves, 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 and then 1775, U.S. slave population reaches 500,000. Yeah, and and the the period of the 1700s, the early 1700s, to get us to that point is usually called the uh, the provincial period. Yeah, and if you don't believe us that. Human beings and that lasted like thirty years, right? Yeah, and and if you don't believe us that these people, these indigenous people and Africans, were viewed as less than human, European Christians did not care about the souls of African slaves or indigenous people because they didn't think they had souls. So the, it wasn't just you know, we're going to treat them as less than human beings. It is a belief that they were not fully human. Yep. They did not believe they were fully human. They did not have souls. And so we don't have to evangelize Which is still carried people. over from that, that past time in the 1400s. Right. Which is crazy. Right. And so outside of a few um, groups like the Quakers, mm-hmm. they saw no problem with slavery because they didn't believe that they were human beings and they believed it helped them settle the land that God had given them to conquer. Man. It was their destiny. And so the Americas were the destiny of European Christians. And if we enslave black people who we don't believe are fully human anyway to help us do that, then the ends just the, the means the ends justifies the means. <laughs> yeah. And so more and more slaves were brought to America, and it resulted in 20% of people in America were enslaved. Africans. That's insane. So that population, as you just said, I think you said up to 1775. Yeah. But as we're growing to that point, now we're getting tons of Africans here. And that's going to lead to Christians starting to have to rethink um, their way of life right. being preserved. Right? Because we have all these Africans now here and we've got to make sure that we keep our way of life preserved and so we got to think about how we're going to treat these Africans. And do you here. think that there's still this this supremacy 
in their head? Like, do you, do you think that indoctrination is still oh no prevalent doubt. in there? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. They and so they can use these people however they want to use them. But right. now that there's tons of them, what if their way of living impacts our way of living? Mm-hmm. We we've got to do something to change that. And so they begin to believe that we need to Christianize these slaves. Yeah. So in order to keep control, in order to keep uh, order in the way that they, they want it, they have to begin to Christianize the slaves. And this was slow. Yeah. There was some pushback because yeah, some people, yeah, because <laughs> some people were saying they don't have souls. You don't, we don't preach the gospel to them. We don't need to Christianize them because they're not fully human. Gosh. But the, the, the pastors mm-hmm. and the people that really had the power in the churches began to push the idea that, no, we do need to to evangelize them. We do need to get them saved in order to keep our way of life. And so they began to preach the gospel to slaves and they began to baptize slaves. But they kept this view in order to keep their power that just because you become a Christian... And just because you get baptized, it does not mean that you are free from your slavery. And so to make sure that slaves understood this, they actually wrote down a a testimonial thing that had to be said before baptism. They had to recite baptismal vows that said, I know that my freedom from sin Mm -hmm. does not equate to my freedom from slavery. That's insane. And a few even argued that Christianity would make slaves better slaves uh, because they would work harder. Unto the Lord. Yes, they would work now unto the Lord, (laughs) and it would mean that they they would have to have necessary obedience to their masters. And And they'd probably twist those those slave, the slavery scriptures. They twist scripture, yeah. yeah. And so all of this discussion and efforts... Mm -hmm. Uh, were to Christianize slaves in order to keep the status quo of our way of life and our civilization. Right. But you can imagine, Tyler, that that did not they work. for that. No, <laughs> slaves were not going to yeah. go along with that. And so very few... Because they could see through it. Absolutely. They, yeah. they knew. They could see through that. And so very few slaves actually became Christians and right. got Christianized. It was yeah. not a... Uh, they didn't see a lot of conversions because you're exactly right. They saw right through it. They're like, if you're, you're not keep me. In yeah, there. if you don't even think we're equal to you, then you've got an agenda yeah. for our Christianizing. And if you're going to make so. us, you know, cite certain things before we get baptized, then you're not seeing us as your brothers. You know what I mean? Which is so heartbreaking because the gospel is the same, right? You know, like the the gospel that has the power to save was present, right? And it was twisted, yeah, and it was. Made for yeah. man's good. Right. And it's just, uh, that, that breaks my heart, man. But things started to change in the middle of the 1700s mm-hmm. with what we know as the Great Awakening. Right. Um, that jellical right. Great and Awakening. massively pushed by George Whitfield. George Whitfield was an English evangelist, traveled over to the Americas to preach around the colonies, and that's when slaves began turning to Christianity. And Whitfield is a massively important character for our discussion. Yeah. Because he holds some of these contradictions that we see that last today. Yeah. Yeah. So he supported the salvation of slaves. Mm -hmm. He preached that slaves, that Africans and white men were both born into slavery, both needed the same salvation. Both born into sin. 
Yes, bo- yeah. both born into sin, yeah. both needed salvation, and both have the capacity for the same religious improvements. Mm-hmm. Well, that's huge. Right. Because that's not what was being preached in the early 1700s. Yeah. So now Whitfield does come here preaching a, a, a view of equality that's better mm-hmm. than what had previously come. But at the very same time, this contradiction that I mentioned in Whitfield, at the very same time Whitfield held to, he was a supporter of slavery. Yeah, and he actually even built an orphanage using yes. slave labor. He built an orphanage for, I mean, wanting to do a good thing, right? which is to make a place where we can take care of these orphan children. <laughs> but use slaves to do but so. But then use slaves to build the orphanage and then in fact kept some of those slaves as his own and became a slave owner himself. And America also needed at the time an American evangelist mm-hmm. that would kind of hold to the same view. And that's where Jonathan Edwards yeah, comes yeah, along. Yeah. Jonathan Edwards, who was right on so many things, was so dead wrong. And he really, as an American evangelist and pastor, bolstered and established the, the majority of white Christians to think the same way on the issue. So now you have Whitfield and you have Edwards, the two main players of the Great Awakening, saying, yes, they're equal spiritually. Yes, they need the gospel. They were born into sin. They, they both, everyone needs salvation. Both white and blacks have the ability to grow spiritually. But the status quo of slavery stayed exactly the same way. Mm. It did not change in the Great Awakening. And Christians were culpable in the fact that it didn't it didn't change. So I think the question then needs to be asked, when did it start changing? Right. Like, so we took a step, but the status quo of slavery stayed the same Mm -hmm. and the church was fine with it. Right. So I think the question then needs to get asked, okay, when did the nation stop being fine with it? Right. Like when did this idea of slavery begin to trouble Mm. a big group of people? And that's where, 1770 to 1830 when we started establishing principles of this new nation that's when those things um, begin to happen so like the seeds of revolution right the Mm -hmm. american revolution yeah things like life liberty and the pursuit of happiness Mm -hmm. um those were things that were being used by americans to revolt against england yeah they were rethinking everything right right they were saying listen we don't want to be enslaved by yeah. by Europe. We mm-hmm. don't want to be told how to live and how we have to. We don't want to be seen as property of England. Yeah. So we we believe everyone is worth life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those principles, those seeds of revolution began to make people rethink slavery. And mm-hmm. you have um we'll probably do an episode on yeah. abolitionism yeah. at some point, which yeah, would be great. But you have an episode um that will do on that, but I think it's important to know that abolitionism started growing because they started interpreting the Bible properly. Yeah. And in fact, in 1808, most northern states were free and slave importation into those states had been outlawed. Yeah. So the North, um, primarily because of the rethinking of slavery, mm-hmm. started to become free. The South, however, no, they, they were not going along with that. Right. Because free labor was economic. Yep. And it was economically important. So it never had a chance. Abolitionism never had a chance in the South. 
because we have to have this free labor in order for our economy to continue to grow and to continue to go forward. And one of the major things that happened in the South that turned the church in the wrong direction was the Baptist General Committee of Virginia. During this time, the churches in Virginia were arguing over the biblical validity of slavery. Their conclusion was that it was a civil and legislative issue outside of the scope of the church. Mm -hmm. So the church doesn't need to rule on this. This is just a civil issue. This is just a government issue, not a spiritual issue. And so slavery and how to deal with slavery are just going to be left up to the government and we're not going to deal with it. So let's, let's dig into that just a little more. Okay. So, so as far as, um, repeat what you just said. Okay. The, the church viewed yeah. this as a civil and legislative issue. Right. So they said, Virgin, the, the Baptist General Committee of Virginia basically said, we don't have to rule on this. Right. We don't have to come up with a statement on this. So do you think that they are just removing themselves from that to, to just stay away from it and not have to deal with it? Or is, yeah. that, is that literally just the only thing that matters is the gospel? Well, I think, I think it's both. I yep. think their major idea was the only thing that matters is the salvation of souls. Mm-hmm. But also, I think they knew this is becoming a divisive issue. Right. And so we're just going to leave the status quo the status quo. Gosh. And so by leaving it the status quo, the church was completely compatible yeah. with slavery. And, yeah. and we're just going to leave it at that. And that thinking spread throughout the entire South. And, and I wanted to go over that. Just The reason I wanted to do that is because that is still here today. Like if you want to relate some of the things that happened in history to today, that, that right. is still kind of happening. This, this washing hands of, right. of, of social issues, issues, of social issues that are, that are fruits of the gospel and right. that are important. Right. Um, I got a few things to say about that when we get to our application. We're going to talk about as that. As we get to our application. Right, we, won't, we won't jump the gun then. All right, cool. But so, but, so here's a fact. So it spreads throughout the South. Spreads throughout the whole South. Here's the fact of history. There would not be a black church without racism in the white church. That is a statement mm. that is made in The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. There would not be a black church without racism in the white church. Racial segregation in churches began in the 1700s in large part because white believers did not oppose slavery of black believers. Yeah. And so because they did not, because of decisions like Baptist in Virginia, right. blacks left these churches to start their own churches and to even start their own denominations. Yeah. So, so if, they, they just, if they just brought them in from the congregation and said, worship with us. Yeah, we're going to love you. We're going to, but because they didn't stand against slavery, the African-Americans, they viewed, the blacks viewed them as skeptical. Right. Like, what do you, well, what, yeah, of course. What do you mean? You, you, you'll let us come to your church, but we can't, we can't have any positions of leadership. Mm-hmm. We can't have equal standing with you guys. You'll let us in here, but you're not going to stand against slavery. And so they, they moved away to start their own den- denominations. And the white Christians knew that slavery was wrong because they started trying to change, rationalize, and reform slavery so that it adequately cared for the spiritual needs and the material needs of the slaves. Um, but again, that's just a myth. That, that, yeah. that really didn't occur. But 
So you see why in the South it just got hardened even further. Right. And so as the nation comes to exist, the North grabs a hold of those principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And many Christians in the North become abolitionists, and they begin fighting against that. But the South comes to very different conclusions. Yeah. And as a result of that, the South becomes emboldened, and they bolster their, their view of those things. And they knew it was wrong because they needed to reform slavery and rationalize it in their own heads. Right. And that causes the whole nation to divide. Mm. If you want to talk about what led to um, the Civil War and the dividing of the nation, did you see the roots of this happening. It, in, and what began to happen in the early 1800s is a new form of abolitionist arrived. Mm. Uh, the first form of abolitionists were a little bit more passive, right. a, a little bit more... Uh, they weren't quite discussing these things like sh- just straightforward. Yeah. In the 1800s, this new group of abolitionists were straightforward, confrontational. Repent. Yes, their motto <laughs> was literally repent and emancipate yep. the slaves. Yep. That was the motto. So this caused division, serious division between the North and the South. And for the first time, the Bible started being used prevalently, prevalently, prevalently. <laughs> not a word. Uh, be, Jackalope, not a thing, bro. Look it up. Jackalope, look not it a up. Thing. I'm Google, it's it's Google mythological. It. Google it. Google it. <laughs> um, the Bible began to be used to defend slavery. Yeah. You have things like the curse of Ham, right? Um, you curse had of Cain. The curse of Cain. You had Israel, you know, had slavery. Uh-huh. Paul said you know, that there should be slavery. So they started using the Bible wrongly to defend slavery, especially in the South. And guess what this did? The churches in the South continued to drive black people Mm -hmm. out of the churches and start their own churches. Right. Um, And to establish entire, um, an entire different movement. So what happened when... Churches started splitting, black people started leaving churches, mm-hmm. is then Christian denominations started having to wrestle with this. Mm. Christian denominations in the 1800s started having to wrestle with the idea of slavery. Let's first just talk about the, the Methodist General Conference. 1844, yeah. Methodist General Conference, the Southern Methodist churches split with the Northern Methodist churches over whether or not bishops could own slaves. Yeah. Okay? Um this started a brand new, basically, denomination in the South called the Methodist Episcopal Church. So you had Northern Methodists, Southern Methodists were now called the Methodist Episcopal Church. And every pastor in that convention mm-hmm. or in that committee owned a slave. Man. Every single one of them. Every single pastor. Right. So you have an entire Southern denomination. I just can't even picture that with... with the way our church dynamics are today. Right. Like what a pastor is, is responsible for. What, what a pastor is supposed and, to be. Their, yes, their yeah. role. How they're supposed to shepherd people, love people, guide people, lead people. And everyone and these in this slaves, Methodist con- uh, convention right. owned a slave. Yeah. Um, then a year later, Baptists now have to wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. So the Methodists wrestled with it. Now the ba- Baptists have to wrestle with it. Yeah, it's crazy. In, in 1844... The Georgia Baptist Convention put forth a slaveholder as a missionary from Georgia. So the executive board of the Baptist Convention had to decide, what do we do about that? 
do we let one of our missionaries be a slave owner? Their approach was, again, to leave the status quo. Mm -hmm. We just want to take a neutral approach and not rule on this. Mm. But Georgia and other southern states demanded that the National Executive Committee rule on this. Like, they're not going to let you... And that's the head board. That's the, the head board of the Baptist... Committee is the head board. Yes, of the Baptist Convention at the time. Right. And they were not going to allow them to skate on this without coming to a decision. Mm. They demanded a decision. So they did rule. And their ruling was that the Home Missionary Society, which was sending this Georgia missionary, would not accept slaveholders. Battle lines got drawn, as you can imagine, uh between southern states and northern states. And in 1845, 300 Southern Baptist pastors representing 400,000 churchgoers gathered and created their own convention, which we call the Southern Baptist Convention. Sounds familiar. Most people don't know that the Southern Baptist Convention was created in, in order to approve of slavery. Keep slaves. To keep slaves. Yeah. And, and so now you have Northern Baptist and Southern Baptist. Mm. Then in 1861, after the start of the Civil War, the Presbyterians turned yeah, yeah. to deal with this issue. They fought over uh, this issue and a resolution was written to support the Union and to support anti-slavery stance. Mm. You can imagine how the Southern Presbyterians felt about that because they didn't view it the same way and they saw the resolution as a direct attack and so a split happens here as well. So Southern denominations and Northern denominations now we're splitting these denominations into two groups now. Right. Northern Presbyterian, Southern Presbyterian, Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, uh, Southern Methodist, and Northern Methodist. And it, it all begins to split. And Southern denominations couched their racism in limited government. Mm. They couched it in the Bible. And, but it was really about keeping their economics, economics. Yeah. and their way of living. So they use limited government and they used Christianity as a means of keeping their money, keeping their way of life, because they needed free labor. Um, they believed that they were dependent upon free labor, and so they weren't going to change. And we don't have time to go all into it now, but the Northern Christians, while they were more against slavery and less racist, I guess, than the South, they still... <laughs> struggled mightily right. with their own racism. So yep. you have the nation literally being divided over this issue of slavery. Mm. And it's being couched in other terms, but the fact of the matter is is that that the nation is being divided over slavery and the church for the most part yeah. is f completely failing in taking the right position. Yeah. Um, and then that leads us into what happens after the Civil War um, which is which is insane, and that it, which we we had a chance the, it's, it, to get it right. Known as the Reconstruction Era, it's we had a chance to 1865 get it right. to 1917. Yeah, um, slavery as an institution ended with the war. Yeah, it's done. Former slaves remained. What should be done with them remained the question. Right. See, so as soon as as soon as all these slaves now are emancipated and they're free, mm -hmm. they're now here. And the question that everybody has is, well, what do we do with them? Right. Because we can't, we can't enslave them anymore. So what do we do with them? Some took 
an approach that Lincoln actually proposed, which was deporting the Africans back to Africa. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is the freed Africans were here. They were not um, leaving. Mm -hmm. There were nearly 4 million of them. But now there's 4 million people without land, very few resources, very little formal education, surrounded by a hostile environment of racists um, who wanted to prove that this new era was wrong, that this new era was a bad era, and this new era shouldn't have African Americans as equals. And so in this transition... Right, African Americans are put in a very, very horrible position. Yeah. Um, no land, very little resources, no education, surrounded by hostile people, and it resulted in one and four. And again, guys, this is after Union wins. Like yes. this is this is after that. The Union wins. So, but predominantly in the South. Yeah. Very little changes. Right. And certainly nothing changes. I had no idea of that. Nothing changes as far as attitude. Before before this, I had no idea that that was never right. taught to me. Right. And and so what happened because of these situations in the South, one in every four African American died from disease, starvation, and killings. Mm. One in every four. That's crazy. Died of these conditions that they were now put in. Yeah. But one, one thing that I think is so cool, Tyler, and we're going to see this as we go along this podcast, dude, black people are relentless. Oh yeah. They are relentless. They are. They, their, their culture and their people, mm -hmm. um, man, they just don't ever give up. They yeah. don't ever quit. And, and as much as I've heard from other podcasts and other people about their sometimes being so depressed and hurt that they want to quit, mm -hmm. dude, there is a resilience that God put yeah. in them that always ends up rising to the surface. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens here. Yeah. And as their brothers and sisters, we should celebrate that. Yes. Like we absolutely. should celebrate their resilience. That we should celebrate so their victories and absolutely. join hand in hand with them on that. And yeah. Man. And because and this resiliency begins to impact the public life during Reconstruction era. Right. Blacks and whites start going to school together. Things are starting to get fixed. They get involved in politics together. Mm -hmm. In addition to the 14th and 15th Amendment, African Americans in the South were able to capitalize on their numbers. Yeah. The numbers are crazy to me. Yeah, read these numbers. <laughs> when, I, when I look at the numbers of what started happening in the Southern states, uh, it's amazing to me the prominence that African Americans get right after slavery ends in the South. And, and this is actually key to the rebellion that the white people have mm. uh, against this. But here, here are just the numbers. In Virginia, 35% of residents were African Americans. You said residents? Residents. Residents. <laughs> residents. might be worth Look it up. Google it. That's another uh, podcast. 36% um, in North Carolina, 44% in Georgia, 45% in Florida and Alabama, 50% in Louisiana, and 55% in Mississippi, and 59% in South Carolina. So they start winning. So they. They start voting, mm -hmm. and they start voting African Americans into office. Yeah, they do. Mayors, governors, congressmen. Like, you you look at the South, and you look at what started happening right after the Civil War ended. Mm -hmm. The resiliency of African Americans. Yeah. They begin to vote, 
other African-Americans in. I mean, we had mayors, we had governors, we had congressmen who could have really impacted the direction that the nation was going to go. But all of this, all of that power, yeah. all of that equality was too much of a threat too much for most white Southerners uh, and for many white Northerners as well. And they feared that their way of life, their position, and their vision of Christianity, that's key moving forward, that their vision of Christianity in America was going to be messed up. And it's amazing to me because, you know, I was watching a documentary on, on like the KKK, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but they, they interviewed these dudes, and that's what they were saying. They were, they were saying, oh, no, we have to keep things white because they're going to wipe us out. Right. So that the, the root of that is still there even today. Right. In a lot of uh, the people who really are proud of their racism and, yeah. and yeah. talk about it. They, so then it's, it's still there. It's a keeping of way of life. I need to preserve my way of life. Preserve my position and preserve my view of Christianity. Christianity is not a white man's religion. Right. It started in the Middle East. Say it again. Christianity <laughs> is not a white man's religion. Remix. It started in the Middle East, yeah. then spread to Africa, and then it went up to Europe. Yeah. And so it's a it's again a whitewashing yeah. of Christianity to say we've got to keep Christianity. And our vision of Christianity properly. Well, if you have a vision of Christianity that's predominantly white, you have a wrong view of Christianity. Right. And the Southern Christians and Southern people in general saw all of this promotion and equality uh, among African Americans, and they had to push back against it because way of life was now threatened. Yeah. Um, and that became a serious, serious problem because they view, they viewed America as an Anglo-Saxon society. Yeah. And if we allow these black people to have equality with us and positions of leadership and power, then we are going to lose our vision of America and Christianity. All right. Well, I think what we're going to do is we're going to stop right there for today. Um, with our historical segment, that, that was a lot of information and we still have a long ways to go to kind of continue to walk through um, the history and how the church uh, has reacted negatively to a lot of things. Um, but I want to I want to end with a few application things. And I know you, Tyler, you've got a couple things that you really want to share from your heart as well. And, and one of the things that really drew my attention as I was studying all of this and have studied it was the idea that evangelicals in America, the problem arises when we begin avoiding issues mm. that we think are not a part of our calling. Right. What I mean by that is, even by the name evangelical, evangelical means you spread the gospel. Right, right? right. That your primary thing to do is spread the gospel, which by the way, we agree with. Agreed. We agree that the primary thing that we're supposed to do is share the gospel. We believe in the great commission. We believe that we are supposed to go and make disciples of all men. We believe that we're supposed to preach the gospel to all the nations. But what happens is, is that that gets used to avoid everything else. Mm. So when an issue or a tough subject, uh, comes up, 
we say, well, that's not a part of the Great Commission. That's not a right. part of our major task at, in as evangelism. And we, so we almost deem it as just not essential, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's not in something I need to be. We have essential doctrines and things like that, and right. we kind of see that and character. character Characterize it. Categorize. Yeah, categorize it. Yeah. <laughs> and so we do the we do the the same thing in a way with with the gospel and social issues. Yeah. We say, well, well, these are social issues. This is not a gospel issue. So I'm just gonna stick with the gospel and I'm not gonna worry about those other things. However, I find inconsistency with us mm. because a lot of evangelicals have no problem being pro-life and being <laughs> a part of pro-life causes yeah. and doing rallies and doing marches right. and doing all these things for pro-life. But when it comes to other subjects that that maybe they're not as familiar with or they're not as comfortable with, then a default tends to be, well, it's not a gospel issue. Right. We're just going to preach the gospel. Right. The problem with that. Yeah. is that that wasn't the attitude of Jesus. Mm. Yes, the primary thing Jesus did mm. was say, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. Right. However, if Jesus only did that, he never would have healed people. Mm -hmm. He never would have you know, reached out to people who were being mistreated. Yeah, his whole ministry. He, right. <laughs> he, he understood that the, the gospel of the kingdom right. had implications... The gospel of the kingdom had fruit mm. that was a necessity for people who live in the kingdom to be a part of right, right. and to try to produce. Yeah. And so what I see as one of the failures of the Christian church in America is that we so often fall back into that mindset that my major task is evangelism. And since my major task is evangelism and soul winning, I will not worry about the other things. Right. When in reality... It needs to be a gospel of the kingdom yeah. where we say we are called to preach the gospel to get people into the kingdom, but we are also supposed to spread the kingdom fruit everywhere. Yeah. We're also supposed to spread the gospel fruit everywhere. We're to be salt and light. Right. We're supposed to live those things out. And so the I said this before, and it's so true. The reason why... I am an anti-racist, the reason why mm -hmm. I am an anti-abortionist, the reason why I uh, am holding to these social issues, uh, why I am against sex trafficking right. and want to be you know, faithful in that area too, is because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fruit of that reaches into those areas right. and speaks truth. It isn't the gospel. Right. It is a fruit or an implication of the gospel. Right. And so even though Christians and, and the church had the tools to radically change, change race relations in America, they left all the dominant social structures, all the dominant institutions, the, the culture, the, um, this, the white supremacy culture, they left mm -hmm. all that intact mm -hmm. because they fell back into, I'm just supposed to preach the gospel. Just need to preach. And... Because that's all they thought they were supposed to do, they did not take the implications and the fruit of the gospel into this area of race. Mm. If they would have, things would have been very different very early on in the history of this country. But they yeah. failed to do that, and as a result, we have these long-lasting issues. And I don't want us in 2020 and moving forward to take the attitude of, my job is just supposed to preach the gospel. Yeah. Maybe I should say this and maybe I shouldn't, Tyler, but I'm going to go ahead and say uh -oh. it. Uh-oh. Here we go. This is our first email. If I were to ask people, when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Mm. That, that answer probably wouldn't be an answer we would be proud of. Right. 
So I find it as interesting that we fall back to that. But that's not even something we do. And in reality, we don't do that like we should either. Right, yeah. So it's like, let's not fall back and use that as an excuse when we're not even doing that like we should. Right. Let's do that like we should and let's impact the the culture and the and the world with the kingdom of God right. and its fruit. Right. And so I don't want us to fall into that trap. I want us yeah. to share the gospel and, and to follow the great commission and to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, which we are the uttermost parts of the earth. But <laughs> I want us to, to do that. And then I want us to, to live like Jesus in the way that we love people and the way that we interact with the social issues of the day as well, because the church can do it better yeah. than the world can do it. Right. For sure. We have the truth. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think uh, that kind of goes back to just these blind spots and... and Which we I, all have. I we, we all have them, but we all need to deal with them too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like we, we have to address these things. And so... Um, yeah, man, I, I just wanted to to beg and plead with you guys and, and myself and Neil. Absolutely. Uh, when we do this kind of work, we have to constantly be checking our heart. And that's mm-hmm. why in this podcast, we are going to have heart checks um, every single week yeah. or every yeah. single podcast that we drop because that the, the work starts with the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm well aware that... Um, some of this stuff is, is not fun to hear, especially if you've been taught something your whole life and believe something, then having this kind of deconstruction work is, is painful a lot of times. And it, it kind of rains on things that we've always known. Um, but I I think it's necessary and, and checking your heart is important because I, I believe that your motivations in doing the work speaks to how far you're willing to go. So mm-hmm. the more your heart breaks for injustice and your love grows for those who experience it, uh, the more deconstruction you're willing to accept mm-hmm. and do in your own life. Yeah, and I think the, the key to heart check, Tyler, is to try to get to the place where your default is not defense. Yeah. Um, so many of us, not just with the topic of race, with the topic of a zillion things. I mean, yeah. I, I preach every week mm-hmm. and I know that there are going to be things that I'm challenging our church on yeah. that every week we could get defensive if we wanted to. Right. Right. We could say we, we, we could, but what God has called us to do is to evaluate ourselves and to check our minds and our hearts. Mm. And so I want us to get to the place where our default position, if it is, is, is not to get defensive, but to ask the question, is there, is this an area I need to grow? Right. Is this an area I need to think more about? Is this yeah. an area that I could help in and, and love better? And, and if it is, and if we take that kind of attitude, I think we're able to see the blind spots. Right. When we get defensive, we're not going to see blind spots. Right. When we're willing to say, you know what? I, I need to grow. Yeah. I'm always going to need to grow. Mm. This is one area that I need to grow. And let me evaluate my heart, evaluate my mind, make sure I'm thinking about these things properly so that then I can see these areas where I need to grow. And if we can get rid of that attitude of defense right away, then we can take the step to check our heart. You're yeah. never going to check your heart if you're always on defensive. You, yeah. you just won't. It'll never happen. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, I'll, and, you know, just to kind of give an example and, and just to see if this is a blind spot, like... Uh, we were not actively part of slavery. I've actually had conversations with people that are like, dude, I, 
I don't know why you're telling me this. I didn't do it. Right. Yeah. This of was, uh, you know, my. Well, I'm not right. responsible for what my. You're ancestors not guilty did. for what your ancestors and did. And we agree yes. again, again. No you white do, guilt here. You do not have to repent for someone else's sin. Right. But but if our hearts break for that, and we do the work and discover that the history thought was the the history that actually happened has bled into 2020. Yeah. There's residual we'll effects of. To, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, residue the, left over. Residue left over, absolutely. Residual effects that are left over that that I think we can help change, right? Um, if we're willing to check our hearts, yeah, and if we're we won't get d- defensive and and just listen. And and guys, listen as we end this thing. Tyler and I are not asking you to do something that we're not doing ourselves on a daily basis. This podcast has been more humbling for us than it has been anything else. Because as we begin to study and read and think and pray, God touches our hearts. God touches our minds. And so we're not asking anybody to do anything that we know that we need to do ourselves. So we are speaking to ourselves and preaching to ourselves first and foremost. We're trying desperately to never come across as judgmental or Mm, harsh mm. or we're just trying to educate ourselves and be a resource that people can use to be educated and to move forward so that we can live out the kingdom of God the way that God intended and the best way that we possibly can. And this podcast is one of those things. And that's why we ask you to share it. We ask you to review it. We ask you to subscribe. You can check it out on iTunes. You can check it out on Spotify. Should be on Pandora pretty soon. Yes, should be on Pandora. And what we know about podcast is if you write and review, um, then it bumps Mm -hmm. the, the search you know, algorithm goes up. Yeah. So if you write and review and the more reviews we get and the more, um, you know, ratings we get that bumps up the algorithm. So when people are searching for race or they're searching for Christianity, yeah. it goes up and up and up. So please share it on social media. Please like subscribe review. Um, we want to have conversations. We've already had people reach out and say, Hey, man, your first podcast made me think about some things. Let's get together and talk. Yeah. Um, and we want that. We want a conversation right. to go on. So please uh, share this thing so that so that can be uh, able to happen moving forward. And, and also moving forward, just so you know, we are also going to be interacting with with other people as well. We're going to have yeah. guests on, yeah, um, absolutely, sharing their personal experiences and and their yeah. wisdom as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's not just always going to be two white guys talking about race. Right. It's we're right. we're going to include. Everybody, we're going to um, we're going to interact with videos, interact with stuff. But we've got to set a framework here. <laughs> yes, we're trying to lay down a foundation for these things before moving forward. And so right. we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Yeah. We hope that you will join us again next time. Please continue to keep us in your prayers. Keep these things on your hearts and minds, and hopefully we can move forward to be the people that God has called us to be and live out the kingdom of God until the day we die. Wait.